Detox connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This Life Science Focus podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to keep you up to date. This week on the show, we are discussing a game-changing at-home sleep apnea test and new neurological rehabilitation for stroke patients. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Xtalks Life Science Podcast. I'm Aisha Rashid, Senior Life Science Journalist at Xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Sydney Perlmutter and Mira Nabolsi. Thank you for coming today. So I'm going to start off with a medical device story. And uh, basically, this is a new innovative sleep apnea test that um, is being touted as a game changer, really, because it can be used at home. So traditional sleep apnea testing involves polysomnography testing, which is pretty invasive. And I'm sure you guys have seen, you know, the use of all of this, all of this cumbersome equipment with electrodes and wires coming off and, you know, measuring all kinds of metrics, including breathing and heart rate and things like that. And these tests usually are administered at a hospital with an overnight stay. So basically, to monitor your breathing and your sleep patterns um, during the night. However, uh, Sunrise, a Belgium-based biotech startup, has developed a new uh, sleep apnea test that is a far cry from all of that cumbersome invasive equipment um, because the test just involves a lightweight wireless device that's placed on the chin and it measures mandibular or lower jaw movement to assess interruptions in breathing during sleep. And as I mentioned, this test, because it's wireless, lightweight, um, it can be administered right at home. So sleep apnea is, of course, a growing health issue. And in the U.S., it's estimated that about 22 million people suffer from the condition. And 80% of moderate and severe obstructive sleep apnea cases go undiagnosed. Um, the risk of the condition increases with age, and men are twice as likely to develop it than women. Um, and if the if the condition goes undiagnosed and untreated, it can lead to an increased uh, risk of a lot of different health problems, including heart disease, uh, such as heart attack and heart failure, stroke, hypertension, diabetes, and obesity. And the most common form of the condition is obstructive sleep apnea, uh, in which the muscles of the throat and tongue relax, causing an obstruction of the uh, airway, leading to narrowing and um, difficulties breathing. So with sleep apnea, uh, with a new sleep apnea test, um, basically this test contains an AI-powered sensor that only weighs about three grams. And as I mentioned, it's wireless and you affix it to the chin with just a simple, simple adhesive layer and it remains there throughout the night as you sleep. And so this device has Bluetooth integrated technology that connects to a mobile app on your phone. And so that receives data overnight and process it, process it, excuse me, processes it from the device and results are ready to view in the morning. So it's very, very simple compared to traditional polysomnography testing. And it does measure uh, many of the same 
respiratory metrics as polysomnography testing, including REM sleep, uh, things like teeth grinding, hypersomnia, which is sleeping too much, um, and other relevant medical uh, sleep measurements. It also measures unique features um, that are not typically evaluated in standard polysomnography testing, such as the number of micro-awakenings per hour and respiratory uh, effort. So micro-awakening is basically when you have an obstructive event um, and it's a natural defense where your um, brain will cause you to wake up in order to uh, breathe again, essentially. So, yeah, in developing this device, the Sunrise team determined the association between the traditional polysomnography testing and medibular movement and poor sleep. So they used all of this information to develop the technology, and it can essentially measure the, those minute mandibular movements with the device. Also, the cool thing about it is that it's... Uh, a one-time use device, so you place an order for it, and to be sort of environmentally friendly, the company also um, provides a prepaid envelope, so once you're done with the test, you put it back, and you can ship it back to them, and then they will recycle it, so uh, that's a really cool kind of aspect, I thought, there. Uh, the test has been clinically validated, um, and it has shown to have um, accuracy that's comparable to the conventional polysomnography-based uh, testing. And so this, the device is certified by the European Commission as a medical device, and it's available for purchase in the EU through the company's website. So my question to you really is, um, is it surprising to you to, to learn, or perhaps you already knew this, that 80% of sleep apnea cases, and these are moderate to severe cases, not just mild cases, go undiagnosed? Um, for me, that was that came as quite a surprise. And in light of that, do you think uh, there should be better screening for sleep apnea? Let's say when you go to you know your doctor for a regular checkup or something. Uh, yeah, that is very shocking to me because there is a lot of things that sleep apnea can cause, such as heart disease and strokes and things like that. And if it goes untreated, you know, chances are people would die of such you know unfortunate. Um, diseases that could have been cured had they known about sleep apnea. So I think for sure there should be better ways to test for this much more easily, which is a start here. But also it should be a regular checkup. I'm shocked that it's not really in people over 40. Maybe not people younger, but over 40, maybe it should be a requirement from, you know, healthcare providers. I'm, I'm also shocked about that. That's a really large amount of, you know, uh, undiagnosed cases of sleep apnea, and I think it 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 falls at this point. It falls more onto the patient to um, actively, you know, seek out that treatment or testing where it should actually be more routine, as you were discussing. And my dad actually um, a few months ago or years, I don't remember at this point, he went in for one of those tests, mm -hmm. and he said the experience was not good at all and he couldn't he felt like he couldn't have an accurate sleep because, because of yeah right because of all of the equipment and there were lights on and and it, he just didn't feel that it was an accurate test at the hospital where it where it was supposed to be and just you know interrupting your normal sleep cycle to to go there late at night and stay there all night so he found that not to be a really accurate and good experience so 
Uh, I like the idea of, of this testing where you can do it at home and it's just as accurate as it would be at the hospital. Um, and I think that way, that would, you know, be... Uh, maybe patients at the moment are more deterred from doing that sort of test because it, it it sounds really, you know, not enjoyable at all. So I think this might be a better way to uh, be more inclusive and let more people be tested. Yeah, those are great points. Um, and, you know, I've heard this from uh, other people as well, that like they go into the hospital for those polysomnography testing um, and it's like they can't fall asleep because, again, like it's, you know, you're just hooked up to all of this invasive equipment, lights going off, beeping and things like that. So really, you're not even getting accurate measurements. Um, And the other thing is, yeah, the the health problems that um, can arise um, from untreated sleep apnea is one thing. And I was actually watching a show the other day and very unfortunate incident where there was a truck driver and he had undiagnosed sleep apnea and he fell asleep behind the wheel and got into an accident and ended up, you know, uh, I think a 25 year old uh, man was killed. And, you know, so he's living with that now, you know, that guilt forever. And it turns out he had sleep apnea and that's why he was so tired during the day, despite thinking he had a good night's sleep. Right. And um, so he he was kind of like, you know, I really wish my doctor had paid more attention and, you know, um, to help me, you know, I was complaining about tiredness and, and fatigue for a long time. So, you know, there are a lot of other issues and things like that. So it's a lot more serious than we think. And I think there needs to be a lot more education, I think, both on the part of patients as well as um healthcare providers. For example, my dad is a chronic snorer. Like ever since I can remember, he is one of the loudest snorers that I've ever met. And, you know, we didn't think it could be sleep apnea until many, many, many years later. And, you know, we're pushing to for him to go get a sleep apnea test and he still hasn't gotten one. But um, I am 100% sure he has it. But, you know, we just think, okay, you know, some people just snore more loudly than others. But snoring is a very characteristic um, sort of aspect of sleep apnea. So it's just so normalized in our culture that we don't think that could be an actual health problem. Yeah, I just uh, I was just scrolling through their website right now, and the device is very small and compact, mm-hmm. which I think is a very big seller here. But also, what's really cool is uh, you can share your results. First of all, you can see your results on your yeah. phone or your application, and you can also share it with your doctor. So I thought that was really cool because then you could do the whole process from your own bedroom rather than, you know, having to go through the process of booking a sleep apnea test and staying in the facility and doing all of that stuff. Yeah, Um, exactly. So um, they actually have sleep specialists that are sort of on call. So they have mm -hmm. like a team that they, I guess, you know, have a contract with. So, you know, uh, people like neurologists or uh, respirologists um, and things like that. So they actually have these sleep specialists that are directly connected to to patients. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely really cool that you can um, have your results, uh, look at them yourself, and then you have a specialist assess them, and then you can promptly get treatment. And so, of course, treatment right now is uh, use of the CPAP mask, which basically delivers uh, air during sleep and that, that also doesn't look very <laughs> very comfortable but I think it's, it's a start like uh, we're hearing more about sleep apnea and hopefully the field will, will continue growing with diagnostics and treatments. 
So is there a reason in particular that men are more likely to have sleep apnea than women? Yeah, it's very interesting. I actually don't know what the the reason is. It just seems to be an observation. I'm not sure if that uh, what the exact reasoning behind that is. Um, another risk factor is obesity. So uh, that's actually another treatment uh, for the condition. So people who have diagnosed sleep apnea, usually they're recommended to lose weight as, as a way to help them with it. So, yeah. It's funny, though, that, you know, I've, I've noticed in my life, and I'm sure you guys have too, my dad is also a huge snorer, and my mom is like a silent sleeper. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess there must be some correlation yeah. between men snoring and the higher rates of sleep apnea <laughs> among them. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, very cool device here. And talking about cool devices, there is another very innovative new device that I'd like to talk about for the next story. And this device has been developed by a medical device company called Neurolutions that's focused on developing neurological rehabilitation uh, solutions that leverage um, the activity of patients to facilitate motor recovery and restore function. And that's their sort of uh, motto um, and thought behind what they do. And so this new device that they've developed is called the Ipsy Hand Upper Extremity Rehabilitation System, or just the Ipsy Hand System. And basically, this is a neurological rehabilitation device that facilitates maintaining or increasing range of motion as part of muscle re-education in patients that are undergoing stroke rehabilitation. And so the device is approved for use in patients over the years, over 18 years of age. And so this is actually a really cool device. Um, it can, it's a brain computer interface or BCI device that supports muscle rehabilitation for stroke patients with upper extremity disabilities. So basically disabilities that affect the hand, wrist, and arm. And what it does is that it basically translates a patient's thoughts um, via brain signals because the device, uh, one component of the device consists of uh, an EEG-based headset. And so it translates a patient's thoughts and of an intended movement into actual physical motion. So how does it do this? Well, I mentioned that it basically has an EEG headset that contains electrodes. It also has a robotic brace that's worn over a patient's affected hand and wrist. And all of that is hooked up to a tablet computer. So the headset records brain activity on the side of the brain that isn't affected by stroke. And then the system translates those brain signals from the headset and uh, um, executes the movement to that brace uh, or that device that is on the hand. Uh, So it physically will open up the patient's impaired hand. So in this way, the patient's thoughts themselves or or the thinking can physically control their ability to open and close their hand via this brace, um, assisting in that sort of muscle re-education to uh, facilitate upper extremity rehabilitation. And so data from the headset is also sent to, or is sent to a tablet, which deciphers and decodes the intended muscle movement. And then the tablet is is what sends the signal to the robotic brace to execute uh, movement of the hand. 
And uh, so this uh, device was assessed uh, in a clinical study of about 40 stroke patients, and it was found that motor function um, was improved with use of the device over a 12-week trial period. So really, uh, this whole brain-computer interface space is really growing, um, and it's grown in recent years quite a lot. And there are a lot of key players, actually. Um, one of the big names that comes up is Elon Musk and his uh, biotech startup Neuralink. So Neuralink is developing a brain-reader chip implant, and... It's already received breakthrough device designation from the FDA, and it received that in July of last year. And the FDA itself is committed to uh, supporting and accelerating really the development of these kinds of BCI devices that are based on um, brain activity to treat conditions such as paralysis, amputation, and a host of other neurological conditions. And so, yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts on this, especially, you know, with uh, Elon Musk really kind of, I wouldn't say leading the way, but because of his big voice <laughs> in this space, um, are you excited about these kinds of technologies and uh, with Neuralink? Um, and where do you see things going? This sounds so cool. Just hearing you explain it to me, not even seeing anything, just sounds like it has the potential to change people's lives and just like make things so much easier uh, for people with uh, upper body disabilities. And I had a few questions actually, as you were um, explaining it. So, you know, we can just move our arms with, you know, really quickly without having to think about it. Is that kind of the exact same process uh, with this device, but there's just a little more technical uh, aspects part of it? Like you don't have to think about moving your arm, right? Well, you do actually, right? Oh, okay. Because it, it might be a subconscious thing, obviously, but, you know, when you... Unless it's a reflex you're talking about, that, that's different. But if you, you know, you want to get up and move somewhere, that is, that requires, you know, a whole host of uh, brain activity and uh, neurological, like, firing, your neurons communicating with each other to execu execute that movement. So you, and it happens so fast that, you know, it seems like it's, because it's so instantaneous, so you think that you're not thinking about it, but these are sort of conscious intended movements that you that you do every day but you know we're just perhaps so accustomed and we don't give it a second thought you know no pun intended but really the, uh, these kinds of devices are leveraging that neurological activity to translate it and be able to do it through a robot a robotic device yeah okay so you don't have to you know do anything differently while using this device than mm. you would if you were trying to move your own you know someone without a disability was trying to move their arm. Absolutely. So someone with a disability, they're, you know, they're sitting there and it's like, I'd like to grab this cup. And so, but they physically can't, right? So, but that thought is there. So this device is there to translate that thought into that motor movement, into that motor activity. Got it. And I, I, I think it's really cool, um, you know, to see someone as big as Elon Musk in this mm -hmm. space as well. And all of the innovation that's taking place in terms of just how do we make people be able to live their lives as normally as possible without 
looking like robots, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's it's really awesome what you're describing. And I remember a few years ago seeing a pitch on Shark Tank of a device that it, it was similar to that, but it was more for your entire body. And the people who were testing them out just looked like, you know, Iron Man or something <laughs> like it it was cool but it just wasn't as practical so I think the more minimal uh in terms of equipment the better and easier it is for the patient yeah and I, I don't think we're uh this device actually um I mean there are robotic type components to it right so you have that brace which is a robotic device in itself and then you have like a headset which has all these electrodes so it's not completely non-robotic looking but I mean it's a great start just the fact that you can that you know patients that have these disabilities would be able to you know execute and and and, you know move like and I think it's actually you know pretty amazing and um, the other thing is that this is a no, one of the first sort of non-invasive devices. Um, so I believe Elon Musk's Neuralink is developing a brain chip, but that has to be implanted in the brain. And I know that he's uh, I, they've started studies in pigs where they've done that. And I think there are a couple of other sort of similar prototypes that involve um, brain implants. So what's really innovative about this is that it's it's non-invasive, so you don't have to surgically go in and implant a device, so you can take it on and off. So I think that's a, a cool feature there. So just for clarification, this device is supposed to be worn forever, or is it just during the rehabilitation process? And then in the studies, yeah. do people end up getting their you know, uh, movement back without the device? Yeah, so the study that, um, one of the studies that they did do, it was just a 12-week trial, so, you know, only three months. I'm not sure, but in that, they did see improvement. So the idea is to re-educate those muscles that have, you know, uh, been sort of damaged well through the, those areas in the brain that have been damaged that can not, no longer uh, feed to those those muscles and uh, execute those uh, motor uh, sort of activities. So the idea is, yeah, long term to to re-educate those muscles so th- that have um, been damaged from from stroke. But again, like so far, it's just been a, a sort of a short term trial that they did, and I'm sure they're looking at more long term uh, trials and getting that long term data. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, because I was I was wondering whether this is something people are going to have to, you know, walk around town, mm-hmm. I guess, with, which then could be, you know, kind of a, um, not something many people would want to do yeah. because the yeah. device doesn't look too, you know, um, attractive, I guess, yeah. because it, uh, looking at pictures of it, it seems pretty... Um, huge and <laughs> doesn't look too small or like discreet. Um, so I was just wondering if it's used during just the rehabilitation Yeah, process it's just or... during the rehabilitation. So yeah. it's designed just to be used at home and in a clinical setting. So not okay. just to, you know, pop up, pop on when you're going to the mall or anything yeah. like that. So yeah, okay. it, ha- it has to be used sort of in a sort of precise setting under mm-hmm. and um, sort of settings of the device as well. So it, it's part, it, it's part of, um, it's intended to be part of a rehabilitation program, 
for stroke okay, patients. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's really cool then, mm-hmm. because a lot of, yeah. you know, people with stroke, 20 to 50% of them, you know, end up having um, some sort of, some sort of uh, spasticity or losing sensation completely. So I think yeah. this is really cool in the sense of like trying to regain movement through, you know, using exactly. your brain waves. Yeah, so it's treatment based, you know, mm-hmm. the idea is to, to, to treat and uh, to treat patients and it's not just sort of like whenever they need it whatever it, it actually goes into uh, rehabilitate those muscles and that sounds a little bit different from what elon musk is doing with the chip implant that yeah. sounds a little more permanent <laughs> yeah definitely like i'm not sure of the exact logistics of it but yeah it seems super invasive to go in and implant a chip. And I think that sort of, um, you know, it seems sort of sci-fi. And then you hear about, you know, people being afraid of like vaccines containing brain chips and, you know, you know things being implanted into them. Um, and that's not an idea that I think, you know, a lot of people obviously like, right? So like this device being non-invasive, um, it's I think it's it, it's a really big plus point for it. Um, so, yeah, I think Elon Musk's uh, sort of experiments are um, in the early stages for sure with those kinds of brain chip readers and things like that. We'll see where it goes. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge Elon, Fus- uh, Elon Musk fan. Um, so for me, I feel like anything Elon Musk does, you know, ends up being something that people want or need. Um I guess his power on the internet creating need yeah Yeah. I would say he has the power to create need (laughs) yeah exactly and his you know power in the world will definitely make this chip you know the best it can be because of his impact on you know people and his ability to get scientists and studies going and things like that so I don't think that will be an issue for him but maybe the acceptance of putting it in the brain would be more of a you know a question mark like you were saying Aisha because a lot of things that he does have aren't really that invasive you know so this is definitely him tapping into an I I don't want to say unmet market but a unmet need maybe you know Yeah, yeah um I mean the idea behind these brain chips of uh whether it's Elon Musk and Neuralink, and there are, you know, a host of other companies also developing it. Um, The idea is therapeutic, right? So first and Mm -hmm. foremost, to treat conditions, neurological conditions. But then who knows, like, where this could go beyond that? What what other applications this could be used for? Could it be used to track people? Could it be used to, (laughs) you know, I think this is a fear that a lot of people have, or could it be used to you know, change people's behavior and things like that. So there could be a lot of ethical concerns that are associated yeah. with things like this, right? Um, Elon Musk, I mean, yeah, he <laughs> big name, big voice, which is great, but sometimes a bit too big for his own good, in my opinion, <laughs> at times. Um, yeah. And it's great, the ideas that he has, but I, I just feel... Uh, yeah, he he's really good at creating needs like like we all need SpaceX to get to Mars for some reason, <laughs> right? And just go live there or dump our garbage there. Um, but sometimes I just think he he's a bit overblown, and I think he 
I hope he and he means well, uh, but sometimes it's just I feel like he's just satisfying his own big ego and just saying a lot of things and you know his track record of <laughs> I don't know like he wants yeah. to help humanity, he wants to push boundaries, which is a great thing, but I think he needs to do it in an inclusive way and kind of realize it's not just about him yeah <laughs> at the end of the day kind of that's fair but I, I I don't know when you were saying like oh you know getting information or whatever using that chip and ethical reasons I was thinking more like maybe this chip if developed correctly can actually gather information that can be used to develop um studies and research that we haven't yet discovered because the brain is a very complicated yeah. organ and a lot of a lot of research is kind of limited to the things that we know so I wonder if something like this and something so optimistic could you know help us actually learn more about the brain rather than um all the negative stuff <laughs> but that's yeah that's just where my head goes is um yeah you know, I know like into all these you know parts for sure like I think that's yeah I mean neurology psychology these are areas that are that, you know, we just don't know. Uh, there's just so much unknown in these areas, yeah, right? Because exactly. the brain is so complex. So absolutely, like technologies like these could definitely um, provide us greater insights um, and into understanding brain activity and the structure and function of the brain, for sure. But I think with any kind of technology, whether it's a bio technology or anything, you know, it, it really comes down to the intended use and so I think that's really important, like I said, for, for any technology. And I guess with that, I would say it's the end of this episode of the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you like today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalk.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.